Welcome to the Relentless Minds podcast with Lori Jimenez, a platform where influential entrepreneurs get real and share their stories of challenges in life that they've had to face head on and conquer in order to be where they are today. Here, you'll get an inside look at the adversities that these individuals have experienced or are currently dealing with, in addition to their opinions on real life matters and philosophies in life. Most importantly, you'll learn what it takes to have a relentless mind so that you too can stay headstrong in your pursuit of a better future. In this podcast, you're going to get 100% authenticity from people that have figured out how to beat the noise that society creates and have a higher level of self-mastery. Hello, welcome back to Relentless Minds. Today I have with me Kat McLeod. Kat is a woman's coach, business strategist, wife, and mother. She started her first multi-six-figure business 20 years ago and currently runs a successful business in coaching stay-at-home moms become entrepreneurs. However, beside the success and accomplishments Kat has had, she also dealt with an unfortunate past where her worth and dignity were belittled from a young age. Today on Relentless Minds, she shares with us her story, her strength, and how she created for herself the life she lives now. Hey, Kat, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being here today. I truly appreciate it. I'm excited to be here with you. So Kat, I just wanted to take a moment and say that you being here today and deciding to share your story with us means a ton. It means a lot. I know, and I want the audience to know this, but you've been on other platforms talking about your business, talking about the success, talking about the wealth that, you know, that you've been able to accumulate over your hard work through life, but never have you ever spoken about where you came from, the challenges that you've dealt with in detail, right? It's always been something just superficial, just kind of skimming on the top, but never really expressing how that affected you. And you're going to share that with us today, right? And be, and just inspire everyone who's listening so that they can see that your past does not define you and where you come from or what you've gone through does not determine what you're going to make out of your life. And so I wanted to just take this time to just say thank you. Thank you for that because the world needs to hear this and they need to know that it's possible. So thank you. I'm grateful that you have this space for people to share their full stories. And it is absolutely true that you create your life. You determine what it is now. And as you mentioned, I'm living proof of that. And we can unfold that story. Um, I wanted to mention create your life. Super important. I, when I first started this podcast in the space for people to share their stories, that was my motto. It was own your story create your life because I truly, truly, I truly accept and understand that if someone lives in denial their whole life, it's just something that's going to end up breaking them down and it's going to, it's going to cause their demise in the end. But being able to find the strength in that past and, and, and use that as motivation for a better future you know, and, and, and realizing that now, like that's in, it's in their power to make those changes in their life. Like that's why that motto for me is everything, everything. Own your story. Now, now what are you going to do about it? 
I'll start creating your life. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, Kat, you know, if you can take us back to where it all started, take us back to, you know, the little cat, you know, growing up and what you dealt with when you were young. I grew up in an extremely abusive home. My father beat me on a regular basis with a bamboo stick. One time he hit me across the back with a metal rod so hard I thought I was going to be paralyzed. He threatened me on a regular basis. I was scared for my life regularly. And he told me basically, not in these words, but I was a piece of shit and that I was never going to be good enough and I was good enough for nothing. And I believed him. I believed him and I was embarrassed and I hid that he beat me. And uh, my mom was in denial. I had a black eye. She to this day says she doesn't remember this. And because my father was older than me and smarter, when I threatened to call the police, he deluded me into thinking they would never believe him, me and that it was just going to be so much worse for me. So I never, I never dared. How old are you at this time? This went on from age six to the time I left his house. And you left his house at what age? He still tried to beat me while I was in college home for the summer, but that had gotten a lot less because I had gotten bigger, but he was definitely threatening my life where I really feared for my life all through high school. One time I had to run upstairs and pull the drawer out in my bathroom while he was trying to beat, bang down the door to beat the crap out of me. So you dealt with this sort of abuse basically for the entire forming years of your life. The times in your life or the years in your life that will determine, you know, those early ages, like your confidence in yourself and your self-worth and your ability to rely on a support system, right? These are crucial, crucial years of your life. And so your mom wasn't supporting you and your dad was the cause of problems. Was there anybody around you, sibling, an aunt, an uncle that you could run to, that you could depend on to maybe give you some sort of relief? No, I did not have anyone. I had a teddy bear. I had a sister that was five years younger and I was protecting her. And my mom was just checked out. She is not her abusive herself. And she was checked out. She was not, she just wasn't present. She was physically present, but not mentally present at all. And during this time, it wasn't only the physical beating, but I brought up the belittling. My father was constantly just telling me I was ugly and fat and stupid and all of this stuff. And I believed him. So your mother was more of like an enabler. She allowed these things to happen and, and just to continue on. I wouldn't even call it enabling. I would call it just really being checked out. She never wanted to have kids. And I think she just left our upbringing up to my father. And her mother was extremely abusive to her. And I, she, I think she just checked out. So you dealt with this up until, you know, even past college, whenever you'd come to visit. And when you'd come to visit, was that because they wanted you to come visit? Or was it, again, you had a younger sister? 
Oh, I, I still lived with my parents. I was financially dependent on them through college. Gotcha. gotcha. So you have to still have that support and, and come home after and, and during the breaks. I mean, to be truthful, at the time, it didn't even occur to me that I could not come home during the summers. Absolutely. Yeah. Because in that time, when that happens, it's incredible. It's crazy that when children, children growing up or even in a religious environment, like an environment that has so much control over individuals, they, they consider that their world and they think there's nothing that exists beyond that. And that all they have to work with is what's in that little world that they know of. And that's not true. There's so much more out there that gives hope and gives inspiration and possibilities. But it's hard to see that when all you know is what you've been living for your entire life. What was it that really, well, first of all, you also went through, you took some, you, this caused you to make some bad choices, right? Understandably, the things that you went through with your dad. And again, these four mean times of your self-worth and your self-love, what, what were that, those, some of those choices that you decided or that caused you to make? I made a lot of screwed up choices. I was dating 30 year old men when I was a teenager and I started stripping when I was in college. And that actually gave me the independence to move out of my family's home two weeks right after college and move to Los Angeles without fear because I knew that I could support myself because I had started stripping in college and was making a lot of money. So I knew that I did not have to fear not having a place to live when I moved to LA. So you started stripping at what age? 19. At 19. And you were also in this time dating much older men. Yes. And then we were able to move because of this, of the, of the career that you, how many years were you doing um, were you stripping? I stripped during the summers and during the breaks from 19 to when I graduated college at 21. I moved to Los Angeles and it was different in LA. There's lap dancing in LA and I wasn't cool with that because of my dad manhandling me and me just not wanting to grind on strange men. So that was the end of my stripping career. So you met mentioned that you didn't like to be touched because of the experience that you had with your father. How did that experience with your dad, you were mentioning dating much older men, that's, that would be an example of how that affected you in your day-to-day -day life, right? And so how else were you seeing that it was affecting you just in your day-to-day -day life as a teenager, as you know, someone in their 20s, a female? I had an eating disorder. I would go days like living off of avocado and soy milk. I tried to be perfect. I tried to be beautiful enough. I was dating much older men. I had a sugar daddy. I dated wrong men. I dated an abusive man for a very short period of time. I'm grateful that I said no to that. And that never happened again at the age of 22. I put an end to that. I just was screwed up and didn't have good self-esteem and was trying to change everything from the outside. 
and be perfect. I thought if I was perfect and beautiful enough, then I would feel good enough and my dad would be wrong. It was because of that background, because of your father telling you that you weren't good enough, that you were ugly, that you were fat and all of that, that just started to break you down inside. And you were just for years trying to, in a way, would you say, trying to prove him wrong? Yes, I would say that part of stripping was to prove my then boyfriend, my much older boyfriend then in his 30s, and my dad wrong that I was not ugly and that I could make a living off of my looks. So your family knew that you were stripping? Oh, no, they did not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Internally, it was like a big F you. Yes, absolutely. Wow. That's incredible. And you decided after a couple of years that you were going to stop because you, it seems like though, although you experienced what you experienced, you still had, it was like um, in another side of you that was still telling you, no, you setting your boundaries saying you deserve better. You deserve more. This isn't good enough because you mentioned you had that relationship a couple of, uh, that was a short time that was an abusive relationship and you had the guts to say, no, you're not going to take that. And you were young, right? A lot of girls will, and a lot of, a lot of people, they just fall back into similar environments, right? Environments that they're used to and they'll just continue that vicious cycle. But it seems like you said, no, like that's not, and you started to put those, those boundaries there. When was it that you really started to take control of your life and say, I deserve better and I will do better? When I was dating that abusive man briefly, it was actually a phone call to my mother and her saying to me, do you want that for your kids? And that was it. I was like, hell no. And I never dated anyone abusive ever again. (laughs) That's crazy. Your mom said that. Mm-hmm. after allowing the same things to take place in her household to her own kids. Yes. But I would say that that could show that she did feel, that she did hurt. Yes, we've had many conversations about that now, now that I'm adult and that happened you know, many, many, oh, two decades ago. We've had numerous conversations about that. And she agrees, and the, and the conversations are that she did feel for that and what had took place. She says that she did the best she could, and she, in private, tried to talk to my father about it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to when it came to um, that relationship that you ended. That was an abusive relationship because you chose that you didn't want that for your kids. Moving forward, what other changes did you see that you had to start making in yourself so that you could, in a way, rewire your brain and undo some of this damage that had been caused from your childhood? That didn't occur for many years. So after I ended things with that abusive boyfriend, moved to LA and did not want to lap dance, I wound up becoming a dominatrix. 
And at first I enjoyed it because it turned the power around. And I actually enjoyed using whips and canes and getting paid hundreds of dollars an hour to beat people and yell at them and belittle them and turn things around. And I would say that I, I found it enjoyable at first. And then I can't remember how long I did that for before I started getting really burned out about it. I would guess about six to nine months. Mm. And then I, this, this is how I accidentally became a multi six figure business owner and learned that you, when you niche, you get rich is that I did not want to be a full dominatrix anymore. So I decided to narrow down my business to only what I liked the most and or tolerated, like it didn't bug me. And so I did that and I expected to have to supplement my income with a like quote unquote regular job. And it didn't happen. My clientele wound up going up. I wound up over doubling my prices. I had a much higher clientele. So this was my accidental foray into finding out when you niche, you get rich. Incredible. So you were, you, you created a niche in the dominatrix in the, in that industry and with that, your clientele skyrocketed and your income in, as a consequence skyrocketed. And that was yeah. created the multi-six-figure business. That's right. And it, I love being able to make my own money. How, and like I said, I picked the things that I dislike the least. However, years into it, I mean, I, even at the beginning, it's not like it was fulfilling and meaningful work. I was just used to easy money from my first real job making so much money stripping, I was used to that easy money and going to a regular job just felt too different. I was used to being my own boss. I was, it, I would say it was easy money and it came at a cost. I had a, I, I did, I chose to hide it from people. Mm-hmm. I was afraid to tell people. I kept it a big secret. I was doing something I did not enjoy. So I had to swallow a huge piece of myself. I, yeah, I just, it went on for years because it was such easy, like quote unquote, easy money. And I was used to it. And at the same time, I did, was not living a life of purpose. I definitely did not feel purposeful. Well, I feel that in a way you were also, it was a void that you were kind of, that was, that created this this career, right? I mean, you went into stripping initially because you were trying to prove to your to your father that you could make money off of your looks because he had doubted that you were attractive, you know? And so there was that lack of self-worth. So it was like, well, look at this, I'm making money in this way. Mm-hmm. Got rid of the stripping because of the physical contact. Now you're in a more in a in a different version of it, basically, but you're still making money off of your looks, right? So it's still, it's still hitting the same ballpark. So of course, it's going to be, it's going to put you in an environment where you're not able to progress. You're not able to grow because you're still in that same, same space in your life. So completely, yeah, you're, it's not, it wasn't fulfilling. What would you tell people? when you were, when you were working as, cause you were, cause what, after you figured out your niche, I'm sure how long were you then in that? Five years. Five years. Yeah. Well, because it was you calling the shots. So it was a little more bearable, right? 
Yes. And what would, like, how, how did that come about with your friends, with your family? I hit it. Luckily, my close friend at the time was also in the adult industry, and I did not have to hide it from her. So there was one person that you guys, that you could talk to mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, share your emotions and, and your experiences with. And then five oh. years, wow. Yeah, swallowing like all my smarts and other stuff for five years. And how was that experience for you? I would feel depressed. At, it's, <laughs> it's, it's different looking back, but at the time I would have clinical depression where I would not want to leave my house for days, if not weeks at a time, yet I would still take clients because I had a hard time saying no to that much money and I was working a lot. What helped me during the time was my assistant who was also a very close friend. <laughs> he convinced me to keep, you know, don't quit the business, but just add in stuff that you enjoy. So I really got into yoga. So I would put my business on hold and go do yoga every day. And I started teaching yoga during this transition. So I actually had something as a cover story and that I truly did enjoy. What do you mean when you say cover story? When I met new people, they knew I was a yoga teacher. Gotcha, gotcha. So you were able to, since you were doing two things, you just gave them half the story. And you say that that was, that, that was part of your transition. So how was this, that transition out of that? And what was it that, how was the personal development part of it where you started to feel like you weren't, you didn't want to do this anymore and you wanted to change your life? That the yoga did help me start transitioning. I was working with teachers. I was reading a lot of self-help books and I was doing a lot of therapy, like a lot, twice a week really working on myself. And I actually transitioned out of the fetish work by getting hired by one of my clients to have a real like quote unquote corporate job. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> one of, not your clients in yoga. No. no, one of my fetish clients who I had known for five years, one of my regulars, they could see that I was growing increasingly unhappy. And he really respected the way I ran my business because I had a thriving business. I'm very type A, everything was very tight. And so he hired me to run a division of his company and I blew that up. It's still successful. I actually just met him for coffee last week. So we are not close, but we are friendly. And I really did good by his company. However, I did not enjoy having a boss. I did not enjoy having an office with specific hours and not being my own boss. So that gave me the step to leave the business to something safe. Mm -hmm. And then I chose to quit working for him and go to graduate school for my master's in psychology. There you go. So you went to psychology, degree in psychology. That's fantastic. Um, I want, before we, because I want to talk about that too, and what you've learned as now officially a psychologist with your PhD, but when it came to that transition and you were saying that you were doing a lot, a lot, a lot of like self-exploration and therapy, what did that entail and what did that require from you? 
therapy twice a week, reading tons of Wayne Dyer, reading, watching Oprah every day, just really delving into self-help books, reading Guy Hendricks, just really doing internal work, just really knowing it was time to make a change and being scared to because my entire adulthood essentially on my own was working in the quote unquote sex industry. Even though I wasn't having sex with my clients, fetish work is still in the sex industry. It's still taboo. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to, because first working on yourself, it requires a lot of being vulnerable with yourself and being open and honest about how you feel about yourself, how, why you do the things that you do, why you think the way you do. Right. And so when it came to that, when it came to those experiences, how was that for you? Was it, did it take a long time for you to finally get to a place where you started to become more comfortable with your flaws and embracing that. How is that transition? I'm still working on that transition. <laughs> it's Absolutely. gotten a lot better. In my, in my 20s, it was rough. I still had a raging eating disorder. I actually let go of that at the age of 26 when a man I was really in love with that I thought I was going to marry cheated on me. And at that time, I could not hold the eating disorder together. So it's kind of a blessing. I did not have the mental strength to hold my rigid, rigid eating and I let go of that eating disorder and I never picked it back up. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, there was a lot of control issues. I still am a recovering control freak. It still affects me to this day where I have to manage my mindset and remember to relax and enjoy life. I'm still very type A, that control element. You know, it's interesting because, you know, uh, I am also a very type A person and like I have to, like I'm a perfectionist in a way. Um, and I feel that having it coming from a background where you feel helpless and you feel like you have no control over things and your say doesn't matter ends up creating that personality trait, you know, of having, of being someone that needs to then be in control of things. And I think it's great that you were looking at that, you recognize that, you know, even before you got your degree in psychology, your master in psychology, you know, because it is something important. It's something that you can see. You can say, wait, why did I get so mad when that, when this was decided and I didn't have a say, or why am I getting so so anxious and so frustrated when I, I can't, everything doesn't go exactly as I'm trying to plan it. You know, like all of these things, it's like being aware of it and then seeing where it could stem from. Like though, that's also part of this healing, right? Because it's like letting go of that, letting go, learning to let go, learning to, to just accept that, hey, life doesn't always have to be the way you desire it to be. You know, I mean, you can always you're always going to work towards creating the best solution for you, the, 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 the best 
situation. But if it doesn't go that way, don't let it don't let it break you down. Don't let it ruin your emotion, your your state of mind. And that's great. I mean, life is not going to go the way that you <laughs> that you overplanned it. So it's a great thing to keep in mind that we we have control of ourselves only and little little outside absolutely so we can only control the steps we take to work towards this ultimate goal that we have but everything else all the b c d factors that's all unknown right and then the sooner we accept that the sooner we're going to just go through life with a lot more ease and peace of mind just accepting. I mean, that kind of like I've been through now. I just accept that as it is. It's life. It's like, oh, I didn't go well. Oh, well, I mean, like, okay, what, what do I do now? Now, now let's figure out a plan B, right? Because you're not going to give up. You're just going to find a different approach. I've reframed it over the last few years because I'm 42 now. I feel like life unfolds so much easier when we take the pressure off and I've reframed it to part of the fun of our journey is not knowing and not having all that control and being able to enjoy the unfolding of our journey instead of racing to the destination. Mm -hmm. That's what makes life exciting. You know, it gives it color, right? Because you're, because, because it's always something something new, something new to learn, something, you know, a new, a new thing that we have to get around, figure out how to get around, and that requires growth, right? So if we've got that growth mindset and just a perseverant, resilient personality, we'll get through it. It'll be okay. So I'm, thank you for sharing that about your own experience and how it's not easy, right? It's not easy. It takes time. You're still going through it. I'm still going through it. A lot of things we don't realize we put off to the side until like some experience comes in and it's presented to us straight in the face and we feel a certain way and it jars our emotions. And I'm like, whoa, I thought I figured that out long ago, but no, actually I haven't worked through that yet. So things still come up. I mean, it's still gonna happen, but you know, what What do we do in that instance? Okay. We confront it and we work through it. And it might not fully get worked through at that moment, but it's okay, right? Because some of these things will always be there. Some of these things, they're always going to be there. And we just we can't allow that to control our lives because everybody has their story. Everybody has skeletons in the closet. And what are we going to do? Are we going to let that just defeat us? and determine that we're not going to go anywhere in life. We're not going to be happy and we're not going to fulfill our dreams. No, we can't do that. Well, I did want to ask you when it came to, you know, your progression because you were able to move out of that industry and get a corporate job. And then from there, you were able to really start possibly healing yourself because you were out of this, of this industry that was solely fueled by this, this void that you had, you know, there was that, that lack of self-worth that you, that you had started to try to, to, to replace from an early, early age. So tell us about when you really started to find yourself. 
In my second year in graduate school, we picked a year-long project. And for my year-long project, I felt called to help women transition out of the sex industry. I knew firsthand how challenging it is for women to transition out of sex work when you are used to making hundreds, if not thousands of dollars an hour. And it is very challenging to transition out. My close friend had tried to transition out numerous times. I also had tried to transition out and failed a few times in that five years and always found my way back because the money is so seductive. So I chose that as my second year project. And at the time, I also started dating one of my classmates and he knew the truth about my entire past and loved me anyways which you can hear I feel emotional about. And I felt like it was okay for me to step into ownership of, yeah, I did sex work. And it was very sensitive for me. And my group mates, there was three of us in our group working on our second year projects. They knew my past and they still wanted to work with me. And I spent that entire second year of graduate school transitioning women out of the sex industry. Incredible. I find that so powerful. There's a few things I want to say about that. A few things I want to say about that. The first thing that really hits me is that you have this, and the fact that you're still, and you can correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but you are really touched or impacted about the fact that you feel that because you are in, these, in this industry that people don't want to talk to you or won't be friends with you or won't care about you because you were in that industry. And then, and it's still a belief that you possibly hold. And it's the reason why you probably don't share that with people nowadays. And for me, I don't feel any way about you because of your past, because of being you being a stripper, because of you having been a dominatrix. You were working with the tools that you had at that time. And for someone to judge you now for your mode of survivorship in a previous time is someone that I consider unworthy of your friendship or of your love. And is someone that unfortunately can be the vast majority of society because society is that way, but they are also people that most likely haven't worked through their own demons. Because anybody who has worked on themselves and been vulnerable with their own experiences, because we have all had hurtful, belittling experiences. We have all had it because everybody is broken in some way, shape, or form. And if they have not worked out their own problems, they are the ones who are coming to you and judging you. Nobody who has gone through that self-exploration and therapy for themselves is going to judge you for that. And also, what is it, what's so bad about being a stripper? What's so bad about being a dominatrix? What is so bad? There are people out there that have non-monogamous relationships. 
right? I mean, there are people out there that get less crap for cheating on their wives with with their children and they can have children. I mean, come on, let's be real about it. I think the first thing we have to recognize is this is, it's not a horrible situation with a stripper. I mean, if I was, if I had gone through that, I would still express that. I would still say, hey, I was a stripper at this time. That's not me. You want to judge me, get off my page, get out of my face. You know, I don't need you in my space. I'm creating something bigger because people who have gone through similar experiences are trying to, to come out and accept the change in themselves are going to love you for sharing what you've just shared. And honestly speaking, you're the perfect person for that. You have a psychology, you have a degree, master's in psychology, and you've been through what you've been through. You're in a business, you're in a business teaching women about how to become entrepreneurs. But that's not going to call these women that were in the sex industry to come to you and find a way to get out of that. That's where you really, I feel, can find your purpose because that is who you are most connected to because that's you. But if you choose to hide that half of you, then you're always going to be half fulfilled. incredible. I did enjoy, well, I mean, it was hard work. <laughs> and that was how I accidentally became a business coach was my second year graduate school project. I was training to be a marriage and family therapist. And instead I transitioned to uh, coaching sex workers and other, once I finished graduate school, I opened up my practice to even men at the time. I don't work with men anymore. I still love men, but I just don't work with them anymore. So I, I did really feel good doing that for years. And I have evolved my business as I've evolved over the last 13 years. Incredible. And you're doing so well. I mean, you're doing great. And you started that from scratch, right? I mean, you started from scratch. You were creating, you were living this, like, this lifestyle where you were making a lot, a lot of money. And then completely switch gears after you got your master's. And I mean, look at that. <laughs> well, to be where you are, I mean, it, it's, it's what women who, were, who are where you were, I'm sure there are more women that wish, but they didn't make that jun jump for the same reasons you didn't make that jump. And a lot of women don't have that male client that sees more in them that says, hey, here's a corporate position with this, this salary and this opportunity, right? And that's unfortunate. I feel that you could definitely make it. Well, that, I feel like that, I mean, going on with the creating our lives, yeah. it's, you know, you could have the same experience as me and use it as an excuse to stay doing drugs or stay in a business that doesn't feel fulfilling. And I feel like I created I feel like I would have been hired by several of my clients to be truthful to the way that I ran my business and the way that I showed up for just consistency alone will get you so far in life. Even now <laughs> as a business coach, helping stay at home moms become entrepreneurs, Absolutely. the number one thing is consistency. If you show up each day for yourself, you will make it happen. Absolutely. 
yes, you always went through life showing up for yourself, working hard and being consistent and just being super resilient. And that's admirable. And I love that you are now here to share your story and how you've been able to completely transform your life. Because now you've got your husband, you've got your son, right? And you're, and you're living a completely different life. And, and it's a beautiful life, but it's because you created it. And it doesn't mean that you had it all served on a silver platter for you. The complete opposite. And you were able to, to completely change that for yourself. And now for your family. Your family can now have a better experience. Your sons can have a better experience. And that's an incredible thing to be able to, to show others. I really want your listeners to fully understand that it is true that you create your life, that you can make those decisions. And what you're saying is true. I'm living a dream life. I have a loving family, a really amazing husband. I live in coastal Southern California. I can see the mountains and the oceans from my beautiful home. I feel really grateful and I made this happen with decisions. And if you're in a place that I was like, let's just say that you're doing unfulfilling work, you're doing something that is not fulfilling. You can take that first baby step and that baby step could look like adding in something that is fulfilling. Like we just talked about yoga was fulfilling for me. I added that in reading some self-help books. I added that in. I didn't make a sudden jump one day and said, it has to look this way. I started adding in things that filled me, bringing in stuff that actually felt right for me. And that's a huge like the three foot tosses is something I'm, I'm circling back. A three foot toss is something I learned in graduate school. It, it means that you take a baby step and they demonstrated this by taking, they brought in this giant thing and they had three foot, six foot, nine foot, 12 foot, 15 foot, like, and we threw rings and the people who made three foot tosses consistently had much more points than people that made any mm. other tosses. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, your listener who's re listening right now, who's feeling extremely stuck, who's like, Kat did it, but I don't think I can. I'm telling you that you can. And it starts with these three foot tosses. It starts with number one, believing that you can. Listening to my story, knowing that I seriously came from nowhere and I am truly now living a dream life. I've been married for almost a decade. I have a wonderful husband, family, and it starts with these three foot tosses and being willing to do something different, do something that feels good. And it doesn't have to be extreme. It can happen over time. Mm -hmm. It's the small steps in the right direction. That's really, really what matters. And you've shared that. And I want to know, just to put that into perspective, when it come, when it came to your your steps in your right direction when you started to do the therapy sessions with yourself and and reading all of the self the self-help books to when you got that when you were then in corporate and then getting your master's over what period of time was this occurring the uh, the, I started 
doing yoga more seriously in the self-help books, I would guess around 25 and I was ready to enter graduate school at 28. Okay. So we're like three, about three years, three years, right? Yeah. Three years to really start making these changes. But that just shows it's not a six month journey. It can be a six month journey, right? That's not to say it can, but it can take years. And that's something that is important for people to understand that it can take time and that's okay. As long as these steps that are being taken are in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, that's where the three foot tosses come in and look, it did take three years and I got there. Mm-hmm. And we're here now. <laughs> in this story with everybody and it's your first time and it was incredible. And I want to thank you so much for that. And finally, my final question to you is what lessons have your experiences, the ups, the downs, all of that, have, what have they now taught you in your life that you can share with the rest of us? The bottom line lesson is the recurring theme through this entire podcast which is you create your life you decide and when you fully decide within yourself and that can happen right now listening to this right this second you can decide firmly on changing moving forward you can decide on success and that decision not that wish not that hope not that want the decision is what's going to drive you forward day in day out consistently doing the work doing the three foot tosses and you are going to get there i've seen it for clients i'm living proof of it it does not matter where you started if you were abused if you were in the sex industry if you were a drug user if you were in jail it does not matter it only matters what you decide now if you decide on success and you show up for yourself consistently you will make it happen thank you so much for being here today i truly appreciate it it's been a major pleasure and for the rest of you listeners today Thank you so much for being on. Until next time. That concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, feel inspired, and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Relentless Minds podcast via the link in the show notes or visit LoriJimenez.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.